and I don't understand that mentality in the business. I don't understand this, like you're training your competition. And I'm like, well, if, if that's, that's a really weak way to look at myself. So I'm only strong because nobody else is doing what I'm doing. If you are a business or a band and you're worried about what other people are doing, that's the first, pro- that's the biggest problem you have. So the only competition I worry about is me. I only worry about me. If someone is booking someone else over me, then that's for me to worry about, not for me to think, oh, they're doing what I'm doing. By training people and sp- and investing time in them, I also teach them about pricing and how to value themselves. I only improve the overall market for everyone, and that includes me. The goal isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Welcome to Perspective, a podcast for wedding creatives, where we sit down often with a special guest and talk about our many years of experience in the wedding industry so that you can learn from us and to help grow your wedding business. This is episode two of our third season, and we're bringing on one of our favorite Aberdonian maternity, family, and wedding photographers, Emma Lawson, to talk to us about expanding your business with associate photographers. I'm actually super excited about this episode because I love Emma so much. Uh, So I just want to get into it. This episode is, of course, sponsored by With Jack. And for a limited time only, Beans IE. So, Greg, what are we drinking? We are drinking some more beans from Beans.ie. And it's the Cat and Cloud Roasters again. Same as last episode. Mm. And I've worn my Cat and Cloud hat today in honor of them. So cute. Because actually, (laughs) I knew about this roaster for years because they did Mm. a podcast again they're based out of santa cruz california i just they just seem like really good people and they seem quite switched on business-wise yeah and as a bonus their coffee is amazing yeah it it really is yeah it's awesome that beans i managed to get some of their stuff to sort of deliver to the uk market because Mm -hmm. when i bought this hat and the coffee last time I had to pay all the import tax and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So getting it through beans means you skip all that. It's that, great. Yeah, it is really good. So I'm actually going to remove my mask and just to... And it's a Guatemalan that we're drinking. Bella Vista. I just saw one of the listeners join in at that very slurpy moment. That would be awkward for them. I do apologize. Oh, that is very nice. Um, Yeah, so listeners, we, we do have a, a, a sponsor actually for the show. Because as photographers and filmmakers and business owners, we we know the power of stories. And this Beans IE, they do too. In fact, they actually started because they knew there were so many stories about the world of coffee. But not just about the regions or the varieties, but about the people behind the beans. You know, the roasters and us, the drinkers. This is the most flexible coffee subscription that we've ever used. Showcasing some of the top roasters around the world who bring something different to the table. Now, guys, you've, I mean, if you're a regular listen, listener to the podcast, you will have been listening to Greg and I talk about what we've been drinking at our podcast table for years. And now you can join us. Curate your own monthly subscription from an ever-changing list of beautiful coffees. And because we love you guys so much, we've got a promo code for you. If you use Perspective15, you can get 15% off your first order. That's promo code PERSPECTIVE15 to get your 15% off your first order. 
For coffees with stories sent straight to your door, beans.ie or beans.ie, I should say. Uh, this is lovely coffee, but Emma, hello. What are you drinking? Hi. Well, I it's embarrassing what I'm drinking by comparison. Yours was very highbrow, and I am drinking an espresso from a Nespresso machine. And to make it even worse, it's Starbucks pods that are made for the Nespresso machine. So, I mean, uh, yes. mm-hmm. I can't. I know. <laughs> I thought you were a good coffee I'm really drinker. lowering the tone. Well... It's convenience, Greg. Do you, do you know if I'm pretty? Do you know if one of the Sage coffee machines? No, I don't actually. Oh, I we are looking at getting. No, no, actually, we're just looking at bean to cup machines. Um, but they're such an investment that we are taking our time and thinking about what to get. Um, but I'm on a bit of a health kick at the moment. So I used to be like just now I would be drinking a oat milk latte or something. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm. For like the last almost two weeks, I've just been drinking um, espresso because I'm cutting out the oat milk and I'm cutting out a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. I'm actually really enjoying just drinking. I'm so used to having coffee with oat milk and obviously it dilutes it so much. Um, I'm actually starting to really enjoy just the flavour of the coffee, even though it is my genetic Starbucks espresso coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Emma, actually, so the, the coffees that we drink, like, I, I remember when my mom came over and she asked for coffee and I gave her one of these coffees and she actually didn't like it just because she'd been so used to having her milky coffees from yeah. the supermarket or whatever. Like, the coffees that we get from this subscription, they're just not like normal coffees, you know. They're, they're, they taste of yeah. fruit and, and chocolate notes and like like just a, such a, a wide variety. You actually might like some of these coffees now that you're not putting stuff in it if you're having it black or whatever you might actually you know yeah i'm sure i would and i think the more that you because i've been i've basically cut all refined sugar out of my diet and Mm. that has really changed my palate so and i know this sounds like the sort of um cringe things people say when they do things like this but um because obviously your palate becomes so accustomed to things being overly sweet you're not so used to the flavor of things. So when I first started this, like I was drinking espresso and I was like, oh, it's so bitter. And I was just like, I was only drinking it because I wanted like the caffeine hit. Um, and now I'm actually enjoying drinking it and I can, it doesn't seem bitter to me anymore. So it's interesting how your palate changes in like two weeks if you just stop eating sugar. Yeah. So that's, so two weeks, that's how long you've been no sugar. <laughs> Nearly two weeks, so it's coming up for two weeks, mm-hmm. so it's going well, and um, I just wasn't, just it's just lockdown life, it wasn't for any particular reason, I just was starting to feel really lethargic, and I wasn't as active, other than going out for walks and things, as I am when I'm working all the time, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't feeling great, I just knew in myself that I was, and I was just eating for the sake of eating as well, so like, I would just be bored, and I'd mm-hmm. be like, well, what will I eat now? And I wasn't hungry, so I've just completely changed like my approach to eating and food. And I only eat, I try not to snack at all, and I only eat at specific times. And I'm also doing intermittent fasting, which is something I've done before, uh-huh. and something I would have been doing this time last year. But when the first lockdown hit, I just stopped doing it. I just had no motivation to do it anymore because I would just be like, I'd be making the kids like buttery toast at 8 a.m. in the morning, and I'd be like, Ugh, I'm just going to eat it too. Yeah. Um, I know that feeling. But I feel, I know, because it's just there and I was feeling 
uh, here's a good Scottish word, scunnered. Oh, yes. Because I know nobody, <laughs> Scottish people won't know if you need to be Scottish to know what that word means. Um, I was feeling scunnered with being stuck at home and I'm used to shooting weddings all over Scotland. So I spend a lot of my weekends away from home. Um, and that's part of who I am and I enjoy that. Like I know some photographers hate being away from home, but I enjoy you know, being at home during the week and then going off on an adventure at the weekend and then coming back on a Sunday. <laughs> so it was actually quite difficult for me to adjust to the first lockdown. And then obviously we got to go and shoot some weddings again. I got to travel again and then back into like the latest lockdown was really a difficult transition for me because I had just been able to start like traveling again and getting out there. And then it's back to, no, you can't go anywhere. And then the kids were off school again and yeah so i was just i just wasn't feeling particularly happy and i wasn't and i was just eating my feelings i guess i think it's what people say um <laughs> so i needed an intervention and my friend kelly who is an oracle on all things health and fitness mm-hmm. um because she has been involved in fitness like all her life um she suggested how i should approach it and so back to intermittent fasting cut all cut out all um, refined sugars and starchy carbs and just live a bit healthier and I am feeling like 100% better I wake up better in the morning I sleep better yes. I feel brighter I don't have that fog she calls it the carb fog oh yeah carb okay. fog is gone, uh-huh. apparently I didn't know that's what it was but <laughs> I don't have that like fogginess anymore so yeah. anyway I sound like I'm trying to sell this is not a MLM <laughs> scheme I'm trying to sell like nobody needs to sign up there's not like a 200 pounds to pay now and you'll be a millionaire by the end of the month mm-hmm. it's um just in case anybody thought this was the lead into to a sales pitch <laughs> no 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 you you save all your selling for your motherhood and photographers chat on uh, clubhouse don't you uh, <laughs> yeah uh yeah so j- j- just in case you know we have clubhouse listeners out there um emma does host uh, the motherhood and photo- or the photography and um womanhood sorry it's, not it's motherhood, womanhood. It's womanhood sorry I, I i knew that um and it's actually, I mean, uh, there, there's a few guys in there. I, I'm, I'm always one of them because I just love the chat. They always have some great guests. And it's uh, co-hosted by Kelly? Co-hosted. Kelly Quinn. Kelly Quinn, who's going to be a podcast guest for another episode of this season. So I'm actually really excited to uh, talk to her as well. But uh, She is very interesting to talk to. Yes. Uh, so are you, I love her. So are you. Oh, I don't know about that. Nah, you're we'll one see. of our, you're honestly, you're, you're, you're one of our favorite people. You've got well, some great chat. a lot chat. of my humor comes from swearing. So <laughs> I presume you don't want me to swear all the way through this. So you, I'm you probably, my wings are already clipped because. <laughs> we, we don't mind. It's no, just no. whether your kids are nearby. <laughs> oh, that's true. My, my eldest is at school and my daughter's downstairs mm-hmm. um and i've like i'm like please keep her quiet because like <laughs> i mean she has a sixth sense for when something's happening that she has to be quiet and she'll just start like squealing or you know just as she's, she's two and she just knows when people want her to be quiet and obviously doesn't stay quiet so yeah. you hear a squeal in the background that's what it is <laughs> and uh, are the family are they doing well at this time are they everything everything good yeah, everything. I'm so, so glad my eldest is back to school because mm. he is a child that really likes his routine and he loves school. I mean, he loves school. Like, he cannot wait to go to school in the morning. And he doesn't do well with this. Um, he, do, he he doesn't respond well to homeschooling. He's he's yeah. um, autistic. 
and he goes to he has a special school place and mm-hmm. um, so he's in a class with 10 other children and they have five teachers and they have their own curriculum that's made around that's um that's created for them and their particular needs mm-hmm. so he can't effectively be homeschooled and doesn't want to be homeschooled so that's really tricky for us when the schools close um and he's so bored i mean he's really intelligent um they he, they think he probably has a photographic memory so he's he's a really smart little kid wow, cool. um so he he thrives on school and going and learning and yeah. absorbing new things and so f- to be at home is really tough for him and tough for us as well so we're so so happy he's back at school and we just hope that school's never shut again and oh, yeah, um, yeah i know and my <laughs> youngest daughter is my youngest daughter i only have two i only have two children so and my youngest is um two and she'll be three in june and she'll be starting um nursery five days a week oh yeah um in august so um she is just she is just dying to interact (laughs) with other people like yeah i had her out for a walk yesterday and she's like introducing herself to another two-year-old she met in the park (laughs) like i would have thought this would have made her timid and shy because Uh like she spent nearly like half her life now in the house not seeing people yeah. but it's made her the opposite like every delivery guy that comes to the door she's like goes out and introduces herself she'll be like i Otty," and <laughs> she gets really upset if they don't speak to her like yeah you know she'll talk she'll talk you know she narrates things she can see to them she'll be like oh there's a muddy puddle <laughs> and if they like don't take her on because they're busy and they've got other packages to deliver she's yeah. like really annoyed so <laughs> she's and to describe her she's like a more assertive version of me Wow. Oh my god! Oh my I god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think I'm assertive and um, sassy or whatever, she is. She is me times ten. You know what though? It's great because see, working with you, when it gets to the groups, you know they're gonna be done super efficient and quick because it's just like right, everybody over here, do them right, done. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. You make it sound like it's a bit brisk, Greg. I'm fun. No, it's fun. Yeah, of course. The fun is more. It's more fun when you control the fun. I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've missed that sort of socialising with you at, at weddings and. And you pestering us every wedding to get on the podcast. So eventually we've got you oh, on. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Obviously we've had... Well, I've never stopped asking you, do I? I know, <laughs> I know. You were like, why have you had Susie and Haley and it's not constant, me? <laughs> constant DMs and, yeah. Yeah. and calls at 3 a.m. <laughs> begging. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously for our listeners out there, uh, Susie, Lee and Haley, uh, Quest on Das, obviously previous guests on other seasons of the podcast, they were past uh, associate photographers for Emma. So, they're not past. They're still part of my team. Well, they're still, well, what, well, well I mean, Haley's, Haley's in Canada. So- yeah, but she's coming back. She's not staying there forever. Oh, is she? <laughs> she oh, just- right, okay. So okay. her Haley's plan, not to speak for Haley, but Haley's plan was always to split her time between Scotland and Canada. Yeah. But then COVID hit and now she's stuck in Canada. So, um <laughs> She would have been, she had jobs she would have been doing for me last summer and jobs she would have been doing for me this summer. But obviously none of that is panning out because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't her end goal to be just in Canada. Um, But um, yeah, COVID has kind of messed that up. Yeah, we've got one with her in a couple of months that they're starting to move the date and she's now like, oh no, I need need to be able to get back. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's tricky. But I suppose, like, going back to Clubhouse, I mean, that, that that's part of why I, I, I love the app so much, because I have been speaking to Haley, 
in the odd room. And well, I haven't spoken to Susie yet, but um, yeah, it's it's quite a good app for oh, no. that. Why is Susie not on Clubhouse? This I is, know this is upsetting me. We need to get her on here. I haven't seen Susie in a long, long, long time. She's gone underground. Too long. It's a shame. She's, really she's is going a shame. hard. I think she's just like working out and focusing oh, yes. on the end. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> I obviously gave you a very quick introduction at the very beginning, Emma. Um, but for those out there who don't know you, who are you and what do you do? Um, I am uh, I'm predominantly a wedding photographer, so the the majority of my work is doing that. Um, I am also a newborn photographer, which I have done for many years. And I photograph pregnant women and motherhood stories um i live in the northeast of scotland um in a city called aberdeen um before that i lived in glasgow for eight years so it was a bit of a culture shock coming back to aberdeen because we've been so used to glasgow and everything that goes on there um um i am married and i have two children um and i love what i do i love my job i love shooting weddings i'm so enthusiastic about weddings um it is a privilege to watch to document people being married and i mean i never and, and i used to say people used to always say to me they were like oh how's the wedding industry or what's weddings like you know when we have recessions or when we have you know when things are going well or not going so well and i'm like and i'd always be like weddings never stop it doesn't matter if we have a good economy yeah. or a bad economy in fact in a bad economy there are more weddings because people cling more to like life events like that you know if they don't think they're getting promoted at work or if they don't feel secure in their careers and things mm. or you know if they're not so focused on that then they're like let's get married let's focus on things that we can control that are tangible so weddings have always happened no matter what happens in the world and I've always said that to people and people are like, oh, that's so good. And then I feel like and then COVID hit and I was like, oh, actually, something <laughs> I was like, nothing. I'll ever stop weddings. And then <laughs> something did stop weddings. So yeah. um, I, I, I worry that I jinxed that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just you because we used to say that to folk as well. And I think every wedding talk firm filmmaker would say that it's like <laughs> weddings always going to happen. People are always going to want to get married. But you're right, like covid and a pandemic is the only thing that can actually well not the only thing i don't want to jinx it again but yeah there'll be something else greg don't it's, say it. it's stopped weddings and it's like oh man yeah but i just never thought that we'd be in this situation yeah you've had, you've had quite a long journey so far in the wedding industry like ourselves so how uh -huh. how did it start Talk, take us back to the beginning very so, pc way of saying you're old greg did not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, sorry my plan was never to be a photographer. I mean, I always took a lot of pictures. Like on university nights out, I was always the girl with the camera and I was always the girl who'd had the pictures developed like, and then brought them into uni the next day because that was still when, obviously, this was pre-digital as well. Um, like it was um, still like getting them developed rather than like sharing them online. Um, and I loved that role. I loved documenting nights out and then everybody's react. And I didn't really think about this at the time. Like I wasn't conscious of it, but I loved like showing people the pictures of the night out, you know, on the Monday at uni and being, and you know, people's reactions to it. And they were like, Oh, can I get a copy of this picture? That's so good. Like I would love that. So I always enjoyed taking pictures. Um, and, but oh, I went to university and I studied marketing 
and I worked in law firms for 10 years and I was a my last job um I was a business development and marketing um manager for Scotland and the Midlands um so I would spend my time flying between Scotland the Midlands and London for meetings in London and things um and it was never my plan that I was going to be a wedding photographer however like I started to take some night courses when I lived in Glasgow um in photography um, just because I wanted to be a bit better at using, I had a DSLR already. I wanted to use it better, uh-huh. so I did those courses um, and kept taking more and more pictures. And someone approached me about, like, a friend was like, "Would you take pictures of my wedding?" Um, and I was like, "No, I'm not a wedding photographer." And they were like, "They were getting married in a really nice place, but they were heavily invested in buying a house that they were going to do up." And they were like, we're putting all our money into our house. Like, I would rather spend 10 grand putting, like, the best quality carpets into my house than I would, like, on things around the wedding. They were like, so would you shoot it? And I was like, well, yeah, as long as you don't mind. Like, I can't guarantee what the quality will be like. Um, And that's really how I got into it. And it grew from there. Um, And then I never, ever thought it would be, like, my full-time job because, by the time I was 10 years into a graduate job and I was at manager level and what I was doing, I was making a really good salary. So I never saw any possibility that photography could match that. And yeah. once yeah. you're making a certain salary, I mean, it's really hard to say, oh, well, just live on half of that. You know, even if you are married and you have a joint income, it's just, you know, you work to you, you get used to what you're making. So I was like, well, there's no way this will happen. But more and more people ask me to shoot things. And I, I started to charge for my services and it just became a thing. And then I fell pregnant with my son and I didn't go back to work and it became, it became my sole income. And whether it was a case of right time, right place and documentary photography and alternative wedding photography I suppose if you want to call it that I wouldn't say I'm alternative but you know what I mean by that non-traditional wedding photography became yeah. very fashionable around that time um I I just managed to grow the business very quickly um I think it also helped that like I didn't ever start off at a cheap price so I did those I did like that wedding um to get experience and then this is probably my marketing and business development background that that um, informed this decision I went in charging a really high rate um, which gave people confidence in me and also allowed me to like because I think charging low to start with I understand it but Mm. I also think it puts off the type of couples you might want because they're like well they can't be very good because they're only charging this like people Uh you know and especially the type of market I wanted they they like something to be reassuringly expensive and so I made myself reassuringly expensive Mm. Um, and and I just Sorry, were you in Glasgow? No, go ahead. At, at, were you in Glasgow at this moment? Because yes, I was in Glasgow. Cool, cool. C- but I was shooting uh, all over Scotland because yeah. okay. I I'm from Aberdeen originally, so mm. which is famously a, a, an oil kind of town. Yeah, affluent. Yeah, so, there's money you know. in Aberdeen. Yeah, and one of the early weddings I shot up here, um, they were like one of their the first in their group of friends, and it was a high budget wedding, and I then went on to shoot various other friends in the group oh, and, cool. you know, it just helped get my name out. Uh-huh. Um, and at the same time I was shooting weddings in the Glasgow area. 
Um, and it just, it, it, it grew without a huge amount of effort. I mean, I was putting in a lot of work and I think it really comes down to the fact that I worked in marketing and business development for so long. I was better at that side of the business uh-huh. yeah. before like my photography school skills grew with as I worked. Mm. But that side of the business, like the business side of the business, I was good at from the beginning, which I suppose it works the opposite way for most photographers because they might have studied photography or they've come from a creative background or a creative job. Yeah. And they've then started a business and they have to learn the business side as they take pictures, whereas it was the opposite way around for me. And that really did make my business grow a lot faster than than maybe some other people's businesses would have grown in that situation. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely a different starting point than what most people come from yeah i mean so, yeah well, that, that that that's how we started we started from from a creative point of view you yeah. were 10 years in a law firm too which law firm simon no we were the opposite <laughs> of you we were the opposite i'm just teasing you, just teasing you. <laughs> met university not knowing what we wanted to do yeah ended up going to music videos but then bands don't really have a lot of money so you're you're trying to find your way in and then obviously i got married and i thought hey no one's doing cool wedding videos over here and then yeah we just yeah it was so it has been that kind of like slow momentum so So the main sort of spark for you going all in in photography was sort of after you had your son how how have you made it work with having a family and being a full-time photographer yeah so what happened was i was doing it um while i had a full-time job so i was doing it at the weekends um and then I had my son and my maternity leave was almost over and they were incredibly inflexible about me coming back on a part-time basis so I didn't I still at that point wasn't thinking it was going to be all photography I wanted to come back like three days a week or four days a week and they were just completely like no we need you to be five days a week because we need you to be able to fly to Birmingham when you need to be able to fly to Birmingham if you need to go to London for a meeting we need you to do that Mm-hmm. And that actually took me aback because I thought they'd be okay with it because it's so common, like women going back to the workplace to be allowed to be flexible with their time like that. And actually looking back, it was like I had a meeting with one of the directors and someone from HR and he he had said to me, he was like, when my wife had twins, he was like, the best thing she ever did was put them in nursery and went back to work full time. <laughs> and I'm just like, I bet the HR person was like, oh my God, you can't say that to her. And like, I probably could have made a huge fuss about it. I probably could have like taken them to tribunal or something because like the way they were putting that to me, they were basically telling me the best thing for your child is nursery, like not you being yeah. home two days a week with your child. <sighs> it was like, it it was just a, you know, a middle-aged man telling telling a woman how she should um how she should raise her children basically um but and i am you know me i'm very assertive i'm not like someone who's just going to be like like, told what to do but i spoke to my husband about it and we chatted about it and i was just like you know what he was like just do photography he was like just don't go back at all just tell them no and he's like just do photography it's going well and he was like as long as you make this a minimum amount like he worked out what his salary was bringing in he was like as long as you make this amount he's like we can survive Mm um and i was like okay i'm just gonna do that um but i'm really ambitious and i like to do everything to the best of my ability so like i never really made that minimum amount (laughs) it just went up and up and up because (laughs) i was always like I need to, I need to, because I'm always thinking of like what I can do or what I can add to my business. Uh-huh. Um, so that's how it became, that's how it became a full-time gig. And to be honest, 
I, I, I never did like the full time corporate job with having a child because I didn't go back. But I think our job is much more flexible for bringing up children than than a corporate job anyway. So I know sometimes mm. when people are like, it's so hard to like run your own business and bring up your children. But yes, okay, there are times when it's not ideal but for the 90% of the time I think it's the best thing ever because you have the flexibility that you are your own boss and that if yeah. you need to take your child somewhere you can if something's really important to you with your children you can normally make time for it I mean yeah. I have now and again booked a wedding on one of my children's birthdays by accident because I didn't because I didn't <laughs> notice that I was doing that oh, and yeah. I've more often than not booked weddings on my own wedding anniversary because I just do it and then I go oh that was my wedding anniversary um <laughs> Yeah. Because I just don't, I don't think when I'm forward booking, I just look in the diary and I'll be like, yep, the 12th of June is free. And I forget that's my daughter's birthday. And yeah. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to be in Loch Lomond on my daughter's birthday. That's really bad. <laughs> that's bad mothering. But she's only two. So, I mean, she's not going to know of one day of a difference anyway. So that's how I'm playing it. Yeah. But I think it's, I think it's the best, uh, to me, it's the best work-life balance to run your own business and do something like this whilst bringing up your children. And also, I hope that my children will grow up to see me doing this and be proud that I did this and that I took a risk. And it's not for everyone. Like, my husband is the exact opposite personality. So he is very, like, you know, he'll be like, oh, I wish I could give up my job and do this. And I'm like, well, give up your job and do that. But he doesn't really mean it because he Uh loves the security of being an employee and being in a big company. And he'll say it and he'll be like, you're so lucky that you can, you know, because he, like, perceives it as I can do what I want when I want but <laughs> which is kind of true which you can because you're a goddamn rock star <laughs> but it's just he's not the person he is just the opposite personality in terms of he gets his security like he would fight he wouldn't sleep at night if he was running his own business because he'd just be like what if it all falls away tomorrow what if this happens what if that happens <laughs> so it's not for everyone um but the flexibility I have with my children is so much better than if I, than I think if I did a nine to five and by the time I drop them at nursery in the morning and pick them up and give them dinner, like I would see them for a couple of hours a day and then I'd see them at the weekend when I'd Uh be wiped out. So to me, it's, to me, it's no compromise at all. I'm Mm -hmm. happy that this is the way I get to live my life. Do you have any tips for uh, parents in this industry? like how to like how to run their business like what helps you run this business that you have with the kids that you have and your your husband you have any tips well I am probably a really bad example of it because I heard someone in clubhouse talking the other day and they were like my approach is I'm 100% I'm 100% so if I'm with my kids I'm 100% with my kids if I'm at my desk I'm 100% at my desk and I am I wish I could be like that I am so bad for not being like that. Like I actually have two businesses I run now and a client will WhatsApp me or something will come in and while I'm making dinner for the kids and I'll be like trying to reply to that whilst making dinner. And so I suppose my tip is do what works for you because that does not work for me. It does not work for my personality type. I am no good at like sectioning off my time and being like, I'm just like, you know, I'll, I'll, be writing an email while I'm sitting with Miles in the car in the morning, like while he's like getting, you know, while we're waiting to go into school or, you know, cause he's doing his own thing anyway. Like I'll take those bits of time. And actually that's what I like about this job that I can just 
take five minutes here and reply to an email or I can take 10 minutes there to do something or when I'm waiting in like the queue at Sainsbury's I can respond to something and just get it done that to me is the beauty of this job but I know that doesn't work for everyone and for some people with children that would just totally stress them out so (laughs) I don't know if there's a right answer to that or if there's particular tips but yeah also what I've always done and I know some people wouldn't like this as well is I do a lot of my work when the kids are sleeping so mm-hmm. I often do, like I try not to do it every night and because obviously it's not great for like I wouldn't see my husband but yeah I get a lot done I'm a night owl I get a lot done between the time my kids go to bed and say 10 11 o'clock at night uh-huh. and I used to be really bad I used to work till like 2 a.m and um, but I've stopped doing that because it makes me too tired in the morning but I am hugely productive between like say eight o'clock at night and 11 p.m at night so that to me is a good life balance like I can get a lot done while my kids are sleeping Uh and I'm happy to do that and I don't do it every night because sometimes I'm gonna watch um, you know like do some binge watching with my husband of like whatever sci-fi thing we're watching because we're geeks um but you know it just that suits me and it and so, yeah, I guess I don't have tips because I don't know that the way that I run my life would be um, attractive to anyone else. It probably seemed like that sounds awful. But I was, I was totally for me expecting, and I like the flexibility of it. I was totally expecting you just to answer that question by hire a VA. <laughs> uh, well, I do have, I do have, well, to be honest, that is how I make my life work as well. I have become good at um, delegating things that I don't need to do. So I have a guy who does all my IT. So anything that's to do with my emails or my website or maintaining anything that I have in the online world, I have a guy on retainer who calls himself IT geek. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And he like manages my hosting. He manages my emails the website like he has a copy of both my websites and so for example if someone hacked my website and it came down he's got a static one he could put up within two minutes while we fixed whatever happened so I have no like I never have to be that person that's like writing in a group like oh my god my website's been hacked what do I do and I can't get someone like if you're hosting it like I can't get anyone from the hosting company to help me and I don't know what to do I don't have that stress because I know that his name is Ian Ian will deal with it um I have somebody who does um, retouching for me. So I do all my own editing. But if something is going to take me longer than two minutes in Photoshop, I just send it to my retoucher because he is faster, more efficient. It's a better use of my time. Like Uh there's no good reason for me to spend 15 minutes doing something in Photoshop that he can spend two minutes doing in Photoshop. And I can pay for that service, obviously. But it's just it's not a good business decision. And I think, sorry. I think that comes from my business background that I can see where my time is better spent and my business has been successful, is successful and it's profitable because I don't waste my time doing things that I'm not the best person to do. Yeah. I mean, I have, like I have fallen down that hole before and and as you say, I have a virtual assistant who has totally changed my life and I've dabbled with that before. I've had people help me with, um, the admin before and it's not worked out as well as this time but this time it's just brilliant and it's life-changing um but yeah between that associate shooters and um getting people to do the things they're best at that 
that's I guess yeah you're right that is a tip there you go yeah. <laughs> just just quickly on the being a night, night owl and working a lot at that time do you use like <clears throat> do you are you okay with sending emails at that time or do you set them to be sent the next morning so that people no. think you're not working super late I always do that like my clients I joke with my clients about that like they always yeah. get emails from me at like midnight <laughs> Because I know some people are like, oh, I don't want them to think I'm available at that time of night, so I'm going to wait and do it in the morning. And there's apps that you can use to sort of do that. Yeah, you could. But, I mean, it doesn't make me – nobody then calls me at midnight or – Mm. no i do that all the time i always joke with them i'm like you always get like emails from me really late at night because that's when my kids are sleeping i mean <laughs> no not at all like i don't it doesn't yeah. bother me at all like um and it wouldn't occur to me to schedule them to go out the next morning um but yeah i can see why people would because they want to um set their boundaries very clearly that like i only and actually i understand that completely and i've advised people to do that before as well say you only answer emails between 8 a.m and 8 p.m and then people who don't have an expectation they're going to get a reply from you if they email you at 10 o'clock at night. Um, yeah. But it's just not how I work. And if I want to reply to something, like if if um, my wedding clients don't WhatsApp me, but my wedding planning clients do WhatsApp me, I have WhatsApp groups for them. So if they WhatsApp me at 10 o'clock at night and ask me a question like, oh, can you remind me if we're allowed to do this at the venue or if there's a restriction around this? If that's like a two-word answer or a three-word answer, it's just going to take me two seconds. I just reply and answer because makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, but then I don't feel there's an expectation that I do that every time. Like if they the next time I don't email, I don't message them back until the next day. That that doesn't bother me, and I know that I keep everyone happy. And customer service is something I'm quite good at, so that yeah. I don't put too much thought into that. Actually, <laughs> I always worry when I'm sending an email at night. Do, do people out there think I'm expecting a reply? So I always have a little caveat right at the bottom of this email. Like, <clears throat> don't feel you need to reply to this. Please don't. Wait till the morning. Oh, I never write that. I just assume they won't see it until the morning. That That's just me, though. That's yeah, email. I just don't think like that. I never... Maybe I maybe it's my personality type. Um, I just don't think about it from that point of view. I just think about, like, I've given them the information and they you know, can reply when they want. Um, yeah. yeah, that's funny. I don't, I suppose because they're my client, I don't think there's any need for me to tell them what they don't need to feel the need to do because they're paying me, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, okay. So you mentioned that your business is profitable and all that kind of stuff. I think... Because everyone runs their business in such a different way. It's, it's actually really interesting. But I want to know how many weddings, how many shoots do you shoot? Like, what do you actually offer your couples? Like, give us a kind of gist about what you actually put out there into the world. Um, I shoot usually on a usual year, about 40 weddings a year. Okay. Um, and those are a combination of weddings that I shoot on my own or I shoot with one of my associate team as a second shooter. So most of my couples still want two photographers at every wedding. Um, they all, some want just me, which is fine. That's how I started out. I didn't have second shooters when I first started out. Um, I deliver a digital package so they get all of their images and high resolution files, which they can download um, my virtual assistant then sends them a box out afterwards with prints and little gifts that we've picked out. So it's predominantly things that are like my favourite things, like my favourite chocolate, like the bare bones chocolate in Glasgow and, you know, mm-hmm. local produce that 
mm-hmm. that are my favorite things and we fill the box with those things for them as a thank you for using us um i shoot on a normal year i shoot uh two or three newborns a month as well um and the reason i only shoot two or three newborns a month is because i used to shoot a lot more but it's just the logistics of fitting them in because of all the due dates change like so some women will have their babies two weeks late some women will have them two weeks early some women will be right on time i try and cap it at two or three a month just so Mm -hmm. that i'm not struggling with capacity um those shoots are really intensive because you're with brand new parents and i'm photographing the babies as naturally as i can and that requires like spending a bit of time in the home and building a relationship with the parents and you know it's just it's just a length it's a lengthier process than like doing a portrait shoot a standard Uh portrait shoot but i love doing that and it's an absolute privilege to be in everybody's newborn bubbles with them and just spend you know because they talk to me in a way that they don't talk to their family or because you're just this person that's coming into their house and they can tell you about if their in-laws are annoying them and they've been around every five minutes with a casserole. They just want five minutes themselves or the opposite. <laughs> they haven't come around and helped and they just want to go for a sleep. And why won't they come and help? Or, yeah. you know, they can tell you all these things because you're not, you know, you're not part of the family and you're not a health professional either. You're not like the health visitor coming in. Yeah. So they feel like they can talk to you about stuff that they can't tell the health visitor because they don't want a health visitor to judge them or tell uh-huh. them they shouldn't be doing that. Um, so that's a really rewarding part of my job. Mm. Um, I shoot maternity and motherhood as well. So sometimes mums want to be photographed with their babies when their babies are a bit older or their children when their children are older. Um, and I do maternity for women who are expecting just so that they can document that journey because it's such a unique time in your life and you don't do it that many times in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're lucky enough to experience pregnancy and whether you have a good pregnancy or, and there's no such thing as a good and a bad pregnancy, but whether you, some women love it and thrive while they're pregnant and other women find it more challenging, but it is a totally unique time in your life and it's a wonderful thing to have documented. Um, so it's a real privilege to do that as well and to just be in this bubble with women while they're, um, have this belly and this baby in their belly like it's a really unique I mean it's such a unique thing to have this baby growing in your belly that you know this little person is going to be in your life forever and you don't even know what they look like yet it's just such yeah. a crazy time um so I mean you can probably tell from what I'm saying I love my job I love yeah. being a photographer oh, yeah. like I love I love people and I love working with people and I'm genuinely very interested in people mm-hmm. and I can, you know, I don't feel awkward coming into someone's home when they just had a newborn seven days before or 14 days before or however the time frame is. You know, I feel at ease doing that. And I like, and I I ask them lots of questions. And actually, this comes from my background in marketing business development as well. Like I used to train people on how to network and everybody thinks you network. Like it's people's natural inclination to network. They're thinking, okay, I'm going to go into that room and I'm going to, and well this is the person I want to talk to and I need to tell them all the things I'm awesome at so I am a tax lawyer I need to tell them all the things that I'm so good at and that case that I just worked on and and it's like that's not how to network and people hate that like just go in and ask that person questions people like talking about themselves or and then when you have something interesting to interject you know when they tell you like something they've been doing you'd be like actually I just worked on a case and it had a similar thing to that. And what we did, this was a solution we found to that. And, they, and that actually is something that's useful to them, opposed to opposed to just 
trying, you know, walking into a room and rattling off all the things that are awesome about you, which is how people assume they should network. And that to me is how I, and I use that exact same way when I'm doing like my client meetings or consultations. Yeah. Like I don't go, I never take anything with me. If a couple wanted to meet me before they book me for their wedding or if they want to Zoom with me now, like I know that some photographers will take sample albums or they'll have a laptop and they'll be like, watch my slideshow. I just don't agree with that method. I just sit down and I'm like, tell me about your wedding. Tell me all about what you're excited about. You know, tell me all about what you've got planned so far. And mm. they love it. Like they love nothing more than talking about their wedding. And then yeah. when it's a relevant time or they say something that I can help with, I interject some useful pieces of information because it's a given I'm a good wedding photographer. It's a given I have a nice portfolio. They've been on my website already. Like I'm not there to sell myself. And that's, I think, why people pick me in lots of situations because I am not there giving them a hard sell. Like I am there, essentially, they're telling me about their wedding. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's not the other way around. They're not selling their wedding to me, but it's because I'm not there being like, and I'll give you this and I'll do this and I'll do that. And this is how I approach this. And this is how I approach that. Yes, of course, if they want to know certain things, I'll tell them that. Mm -hmm. um, and if they have questions, I'll answer their questions. But I could, you know, like, the first thing I do is put it back to them and be like, so tell me about your wedding. And yeah, I don't, yeah. and well, I don't think that's their experience. Generally, their experience is someone sits down and goes, okay, here's my slideshow. We'll watch this on my laptop. And then I'll tell you about how good I am at this and how many weddings I've shot and what I like doing. And, and I understand why that's pe why people want to do that. But uh -huh. I don't think it's not how you train people in the corporate world to sell. And it's not how you train them to network. So I think it works for our industry too. Yeah. yeah. That was one of the things I learned quite early on about the client meeting is just, they want to talk about their wedding. They want any excuse to talk about their wedding. So mm. you just ask them questions. If they're excited, they'll talk about it. Like, yeah. And they are excited because it's their yeah. wedding and they're investing. They usually have a huge financial investment, but they have a massive emotional investment. So they will talk about their wedding until the cows come home. Yeah. And, and they, like, they quite often don't know what they should be asking you. Like they, yeah. come, they might come to a meet client meeting and be like, um, I know we should meet you, but I don't know what to ask. Yeah. I like your work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's good just to be like, don't worry about asking us questions. Just tell us about your day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love when a kind of nervous couple be. come in and we just like, you know what, guys, do you want a drink? Do you want to just chill out and chat? Just talk. Just talk to us. Like, it's like we're the, the non-judgy friend who's going to give them advice if they ask for it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kinda, it's kinda cool. Yeah. yeah, and actually a lot of stuff comes in at that conversation as well because they'll say, you know, this is what we're planning. We're thinking, my mum thinks we should get married at 3 p.m. I think that's a bit late. But And you give them, like, the confidence to push back on things like that as well. Not that I'm saying yeah. the mums are wrong, but as you know, it's quite it's quite an old-fashioned thing to get married at 3 p.m. in the UK. Now, it used to be what everyone did yeah. in our parents' <laughs> generation, but now people want to maximise their wedding days. They want to maximise yeah. light, but they also want to, they're spending a fortune on it. They want to maximise those hours that they're actually at their wedding. Like, why would you want to maximise getting ready time? Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, I want I another two hours of getting ready. Like, you want the two hours that you're, you want those two hours to be with people and actually enjoying your wedding. So, yeah, and, and, and with I, your partner as well. Yeah, totally. I always found that weird at weddings where you like spend half the day apart. I know, what? I know, it's <laughs> peculiar. Um, but it was how weddings used to be. And yeah. Sometimes like when they're talking about that and then you give them the confidence, you'll say, well, like 90% of the weddings I shoot now 
happen between one and two. And like, that's really helpful to them because they can be like, well, we met with this really good photographer and she said 90% between one and two mum. And she gave us this reason. And like the mums probably are like, oh, we hate her. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you can be their patsy. Confidence. Yeah, it gives them yeah. like, because they're like, well, my mum maybe hasn't been to a wedding for 20 years. So yeah. this person maybe knows more <laughs> about what weddings are like right now. And it's nothing that like I have against them. I'm not bashing on the mums. I love the mums and I get on well with the mums on the day because um, I am good at smoothing them. Um, <laughs> or I try to. You are. Um, I just like it. I like the mums. Like they're, it's, it's a nice dynamic. Um, um, but yeah, I think that we have a lot of value to add at those type of meetings and those type of consultations. Yeah. Like, and the value is not in reeling off how many weddings you shot last year and how awesome you are at like shooting dance floor or this or that. Like it just comes off badly. Like, People care much. It's the same with any relationship. So if if um, you met someone new and they are someone who would be like a good match for you as a friend, but all they were interested in doing was talking about themselves and didn't really have an interest in listening to you, that's a very one-sided relationship and it probably wouldn't flourish into a friendship because there's no two-way street there. And it's the same with business relationships. With Jack was designed from the ground up and is tailored specifically for creatives. Whether you provide a service like design, development or photography or offer advice to clients, With Jack is for you. It's focused on creatives. Insurance shouldn't be complicated, so With Jack has made every step easy. You'll deal with one form and talk to one Jack as you sign up, get covered and move on with your day. With Jack is all about bespoke insurance for creatives. Simple. That doesn't mean more forms or faff, it means less. It's not about endless features and stale service. It's about one solid policy and the personal touch. Bye-bye, unnecessary fuss, hello, creative, friendly insurance. Be a confident creative. So I'm going to sound like I'm calling you old again. It's okay, I am. Again, you, what a way to you've start. been in the wedding industry for quite some yes. time, but... So what, what do you think a lot of new people to the industry struggle with? What should they try and sort of work on early on? Um, I think that what I see with people coming into the industry is that they want to jump like too far too soon. So and what I mean right. by that is when I started, I contacted a photographer I knew and she had photographed my brother's wedding and she's quite well known in the Aberdeen market. And I was like, please, can I come to some weddings with you? And I'll literally just hold your bag. I'll run and get this for you. I'll do that for you. I'll I'll do anything I can to make your day easier. And, you know, you just you need something. I'll go get it. I'll get your water. I'll do anything. Um, yep. Because maybe that's because my background as well. And I understood that I was I was the benefit was 100 percent for me and not for her. Because she could have anybody come and carry her bag. Um, I get a lot of inquiries from people who'll be like, I love your work. Could I come and assist you or shadow you? Because I want to learn about wedding photography or I want to improve my wedding photography or I would like to see how you approach a wedding or I would like to see what a wedding day flows like or I would like to see how you shoot it. So do you see what I'm saying there? It's a lot of I would like or this would benefit me because of this. And it's just I don't know if. 
it's because of my background before, but I understand that that's not an attractive proposal to someone. So if you want to come and shadow them or assist them or get on their team for second shooting, tell them what you can do for them. Tell them how you will help them. Tell them how you will add value to what they do. Don't write an email and start off, obviously, by like just as a courtesy saying, I love your work. And like, that's fine. Like, I'm sure they do. Um, But (laughs) it doesn't fly when it's like, I love your work. But please, can you help me improve my career by showing me how you shoot a wedding? And 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 I have no I have and, you know, I have absolutely no issue in bringing someone um, on in their career. In fact, I've done it lots of times. Like I have a number of mm-hmm. photographers who have worked closely with me who have come in like from college, from you know, like from a non-professional photography background. And I have nurtured and like mentored and they have come to hundreds of weddings with me and and um, I refer them for work and they've associated shot for me. So it's not about not bringing people on. In fact, I love doing that. I get like a huge part of my, I get a lot of self-esteem from that. Like I love seeing people flourish. And then I would do like, if I cared about someone, I cared about them a hundred percent and I would do anything for them. Like I, I want to see their career do well, but I do uh. take objection to this like culture of like, I don't know if it's just an age thing or if it's just the way the world is a bit now. now. This like, can I come and and I don't know how they don't see it themselves. Like they write these emails and it's like, how do you think that's attractive to me? Like, can I can I train <laughs> you for free? Oh please, yeah, please do come to my wedding and my thing that I'm being paid to do, like for a client. Oh yeah, I'll totally train you at the same time for free. Like, I mean, come and tell me what you can do for me, and then as an aside, I'll help you. Like, I don't know. It just it just irritates me because yeah. I think that. They're probably wonderful <laughs> photographers. They're just coming at it from the wrong way. And I don't have time to explain yeah. that to them all. Um, but yeah. I mean, the ones that I will bring into my team will be the ones that have the sort of self-awareness not to write an email like that. So, I mean, I mean, let's address this just for the newbies out there who have picked up this podcast. A big part of your business is obviously the associate photographers that you have. But what is an actual associate photographer? Is it part of your brand? Is it just someone extra who you hire in? Like, give us the brand. Well, it works differently for different photographers. So I'll tell you how it works for me. So I have three levels of photographers that are involved in my business. I have assistants, I have second shooters, and I have associate photographers. Sometimes associate photographers are second shooters, so it, they can fulfill that role as well. Um, for me, I charge a lot and my clients have really big expectations, so I am very selective about the photographers I work with. And I mean that in the sense that they need to shoot like I do. They need to, And they don't necessarily need to shoot like I do for their own portfolios, but they need to fit in with my brand when they're working with me. So nobody other than in an emergency situation, like if I had two second shooters go sick or something, nobody comes to second shoot for me without having shadowed an existing second shooter first. So Charlotte was in the room when we started and Mm -hmm. Charlotte was like the most recent one I did this with. Charlotte would just come to weddings and shadow Haley, and Haley did that with Susie. So for a handful of weddings before Haley ever did anything, 
she would just come and shadow Susie at groom prep, shadow Susie shooting details, shadow Susie, you know, whenever she wasn't with me or she would shadow me some of the time as well. But she was learning how we do mm-hmm. things and not just learning how we how we take photographs, learning how we speak to our clients, how we how we like, for example, groom prep, like, yes, we're documentary photographers and we want it to be as real and honest as it was. But if they're all like putting their bow ties on in like the darkest, dingiest corner of the room, like I need my photographers to be assertive in that situation and and be like, hey, guys, can you come and do that by the window? Like, you know, and just, you know, and, and, and I need my second shooters to be the sort of personalities that will have banter with the guys in the morning as well, because I think the guys find it really awkward when. They have some like especially like a girl turns up and it's just or a guy and, and they're just standing in the corner quietly, not saying anything. I think it's a bit weird. Like I personally and I know that's some people's approach, but I find that that's more awkward than if you chat with them and you talk with them and you can have so much chat with the guys like the guys are always like it's just guy human. I guess a lot of the time they're always teasing each other. So you can just get involved in that with them. Um and that way they get much better shots, but it also means they have a better relationship with them. So, and they will just pick like the darkest, worst part of the light of the room to start like doing something really nice. You know, like they'll be helping, like the groom will just ask the best man to help him with his um, cufflinks or something or whatever it might be. And they'll just pick the worst part of the room to do that in. So it's just like having that <laughs> foresight to just move them into a nicer part of the room. So that's why. Um, I have people come and shadow the second shooters so they can see our approach and they can see how we do it. Um, and then once they've, once I think they're up to speed, they will come and second shoot a wedding that didn't have a second shooter booked. So a wedding that I would have been shooting on my own and I'll pay them to do that, but they'll do it without the client's expectations that they have a second shooter. So I'll say to the client, I'm bringing a second shooter for free. So the client's delighted because they're getting something for free. But I'm also getting the chance uh-huh. to see that second shooter work when I don't have the pressure that the client is expecting something particular from them. And also, I wouldn't do that to my clients. Like, I don't want my – I wouldn't – like, I charge a lot for my second shooters and I charge a lot for myself. And I wouldn't uh-huh. put someone – I wouldn't give them a shooter that I don't have confidence in yet because <clears throat> I have yeah. a lot of confidence in my second shooters. Like when I work with Susie, you will know this. I don't shoot a detail all day because I know she <laughs> yeah, details. I'll never shoot a detail any better than she'll shoot a detail. And I see, and I know mm. that primary shooters, when they bring in second shooters, they don't know there's a trust issue there. And I understand that because they're mm-hmm. like, well, what if they mess up all the details and I don't have any details to give them? clients so they'll like when they've got five minutes go and do some run around shooting some quick details in case the second shooter didn't achieve what they would need them to achieve so that for me is not a way to be because that would stress me out um so (laughs) i trust my my team implicitly like 100 percent um so (laughs) they will work their way up to a full full second shooter and then once they have the experience to do that. And I know they've done that in a couple of weddings where they were not paid by the couple to be a second shooter. They can then get paid gigs as second shooters. 
Um, and I have a schedule, like usually what I would do in non COVID times is like in January every year, I have the schedule and I run it by them all and they all put their names against the weddings they want. And there's flexibility because these are all elite level photographers. I got that word from Philip White oh, yeah. when I was listening to his, because <laughs> that really, I'll go back to that, but that really interested me, that word he used. They're all elite level photographers who shoot in their own right. So they might yeah. book a wedding short notice and they can absolutely say to me, hey, I was going to be working with you that day, um, but I booked, but I have an inquiry for my own wedding. And it's like, that's fine. We'll flip things around and I'll get one of the others to do it because their career is very important to me as well. And the fact that I have people at that level second shooting for me is important to me. So I have to be supportive of their careers, too. Um, and then. When they are really, really trusted, when they're really in the circle of trust, they can associate shoot for me. So if someone inquires for a wedding date when I am not available, but it's a but I love the sound of the couple. They're exactly my ideal client. And it's maybe a venue I haven't shot at before or somewhere that I really want to shoot. I will offer them one of the associate team. And that will be one of the team that have worked with me for quite some time. And I have a lot of trust in and they will shoot the wedding in my style. And I will edit it and deliver it. And I think you guys have filmed weddings before where one of my associate team has shot it. And you had mentioned to uh -huh. me that they did it exactly like I would do it. They even said the things I would say. Yep, yep. And actually, there's, yep, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like coming out, like as you're the primary shooter and you've worked with someone for a long time and you've taken them out. Of, they've come to you out of college. So they had no experience of weddings before you. And you come out like and they're organizing like you were doing something inside and they're organizing the guests to throw confetti and you're listening to them and you can just hear your own lines. Like the things that you would be saying to the guests at that point, you know, like the, like you've heard yeah. the things I say, I say the same things all the time. Um, and there's nothing quite like that, <laughs> yeah. like listening to someone basically saying your lines and being like, I mean, it's quite a, like I'm quite proud of that. I'm like, oh, right. They're like literally doing my bit right now. They're doing like my little. I do like a little bit before I like basically I would like to get the guests all on my side and I like to try and make them laugh. And I'm like, OK, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, and, I'm like, and it's just funny hearing it come out of someone else's mouth. When you're with us, it's usually at my expense. Yeah. <laughs> so when I work with videographers, I'll quite often have banter with the videographer and that puts the couple of, when we're doing the couple shoot and that puts the couple at ease. And, the, oh, yeah. you know, they laugh at us teasing each other and things. <laughs> Well, there's nothing like when two teams come together for the benefit of everyone, you know, and it's just a good flow and you're having a good time, like the couples relax. Like, I love that. Um, yeah. And I mean, I actually find it really difficult working with, um, say, a videographer that's really silent. And I know that's some people's style, like they just want to be totally mm -hmm. silent because I almost feel like it's a bit awkward because like. <laughs> like I can't can be. I just want that like banter with them because it makes the couple laugh yeah. and then that's half our job done because we have a natural exactly. couple walking along yeah. laughing and like you know just it's just I just think that's part of the that's part of our job when we're doing it so like I'm always like yeah. and if it's a non-bantery videographer and then I tease him and he doesn't say anything it just looks like I'm being really mean to him you're For such no a bully. Reason. I know, and it's just like, oh, thanks, dude. You didn't even respond to that. It just looks like I'm like bullying you in the workplace. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually, I, I quite often have to remind people, like whenever I'm in the the womanhood room, that you ha we have a very sarcastic sense of humor over here. So don't think Emma's bullying me. It's just part of the banner. <laughs> Is that why you that say really that? <laughs> yeah, of course. I don't, I don't want people she thinking actually, bad. She actually does hate you. 
Oh, well, you know what? It shows me often. It's my face. I've just not got a likable face. That's why I'm doing podcasting. I do really like working with you. I mean, (laughs) the first time I worked with you, like, you were a surprise because I'd never worked with a videographer (laughs) that was, like, so assertive in bridal prep. Like, because usually they are kind of off to the side. and, (laughs) And I mean that in a good way, but I just mean you knew what you wanted and you weren't afraid to, like, get in amongst things. And often male videographers in a bridal prep situation aren't like that. Like, they're very, like, off at the edges and... I mean, they're just concerned for, like, I guess they don't want to be in the way or they don't want to mm-hmm. be, like, look like they're um, creeping on girls without bras on. And, um, oh, yeah. Um, that that which I then assumption you is... about, like, how... <laughs> you do, that. you do. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. But um, th- that's actually really good because being a guy does, at bridal preps can be... Well. Yeah, no, Absolutely. No, but I like I, I tried to be. To it. You just get in, a, yeah. in amongst it. But like the first time I ever worked with you, because I'd never worked with a videographer that worked like that, I was a bit like, <laughs> who the hell's this guy? I hate him. F- Why is he always in my shots? And then what? that was when you guys used to take the couple for your own shoot. So you didn't come with us. And you were like, actually, oh. we're just going to take the couple for our own shoot. And I was like, yeah, fill your boots. Mm. I don't want you to come on my shoot anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was look, that was back early days. Like, yeah, that was, that was really, that really was, early. That was before we were part of any communities. We actually did that because we didn't want to get, we, like, we felt like we were getting in the way because we had kind of a more yeah. set up kind of style back then. Totally changed now. Yeah. Like, no, no, I love working but, with yeah. you guys. You know we, that. Um, it was just, it was just funny because you were just the first videographers that ever worked with like that. Um, and yeah. I was like, what are these guys all about? I don't know, I like these guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, not you, guys. So, so, not, nobody oh, can not like you. Oh. <laughs> So so going so going back to second shooters Sorry, there yeah. because I, no it's fine no it's fine. Would you worry that you're training your second shooters to be you like you, like you've literally said oh they're doing your bit and you're you're training them with the potentiality of them just going off and being you but cheaper. No, I never worry about right. that because this also comes from my business background as well. Like. If you are a business or a brand and you're worried about what other people are doing, that's the first, that's the biggest problem you have. So the only competition I worry about is me. Like I, like I only care about me. I only worry Mm -hmm. about me. If someone is booking someone else over me, then that's for me to worry about, not for me to think, oh, they're doing what I'm doing. And (laughs) by bringing people, by training people and and investing time in them, I also teach them about pricing and how to value themselves. I only improve the overall market for everyone. And that includes me. So if I train someone and I train them in my style, like they'll always do it. They'll always do it their own way anyway. They'll always still not want to be a carbon copy of me. Um, And they're usually younger than me as well. So they'll be like, no, she's old and boring. (laughs) We want to do it our way. Um, But, I, no, I just, and I don't understand that mentality in the business. I don't understand this, like you're training your competition. And I'm like, well, yeah. if, if that's, that's a really weak way to look at myself. So I'm only mm. strong because nobody else is doing what I'm doing. Like if, yeah. if, if I'm teaching people to be strong, I'm improving the market overall. Like I'm improving the offering in the market overall. If I'm training yeah. people to charge properly for what they're doing, I'm bringing up the price of the market overall. Like mm-hmm. to me, it's all bonuses and any concern 
that people have in that respect is a mark of their own weakness. It's a mark of their own insecurity. So to me, that is the last thing I would ever worry about. If Haley is booking a wedding over me, and I'm sure she has by this stage, if they're picking her over me, that's because she's the right photographer for them. And if it was Uh happening all the time and I wasn't booking work anymore, that still wouldn't be the fault of Haley or the fact that I trained her. That's because I'm not doing something right. That's because I've let a ball drop in my business. That's because I've become too lazy with my marketing or because I've like, I'm successful and I'm booked two years in advance and I've let myself just like, cause that's easy to do. That's easy to just be like, well, I'm just going to take my foot off the pedal a little bit because I'm doing really well right now. And then you're not, and then things start to drop off because you're not watching something properly in your own business. The easiest thing to do, and this is what people, everybody wants to do this, is blame the competition and say, oh, it's these new photographers. They're not charging enough or (laughs) they're not doing this or I trained up that person and now they're taking all my work. Like, no, they're not. You're you're not keeping your work. You're not maintaining your market share because you've let something fall by the wayside or because you haven't moved with the times or you're not listening to what the market wants. So, yeah, no, I think I, I 100% disagree with that concern that some people have. Um, mm. But I do understand where it comes from, but I think it comes from insecurity, not um, business. I would, uh, yeah, I would agree. So in, in, in planning the season ahead, there's been a lot of, like, um, people that we've looked at to do with mindset. And that is, you know, we are very much community over competition over here. But I know that is a big thing that people kind of worry about. And it really does stem from a lack of self-belief for their business. Yeah, I think it's a real problem we have in the industry. And it's because people come from, like, I think creatives often second guess their work or um, have just don't have the confidence in themselves and it's really common amongst creatives and it's not that like I always think I'm the best at everything I just have a very real understanding like I'm not the best at everything but I'm consistently good at what I'm good at like and consistency in business is more important than being brilliant one day and not so good the next like that's Uh you look at all the most successful brands and businesses in the world and the most successful photographers most of them will agree with you what they are more than utterly brilliant every single day of the week is that they are consistent Mm -hmm. because that is what the market likes that's what people buy into so being consistent is more important than anything being consistent with your social media being consistent with how you work with clients like so for example if you usually reply to your clients the next day and that's consistent clients like that they understand that but you can't then for like two weeks not reply to them like you know they're just like (laughs) and then it goes to weekly and then you're back to every other day because they're like that becomes irritating for a client to deal with because they're like sometimes they reply straight away sometimes i don't hear from them for three weeks like it's Mm. it's frustrating so consistency on every aspect of what you do not just Mm. how you shoot because i always say this and i am always aware of this when i turn up at a wedding it makes no difference how nice the wedding i shot the week before is it it doesn't if I could have shot the best I ever shot the week before like that it could have been like oh my god I will never shoot this well again like this was everything was right the light was right the couple were right I was in the right places at the right time I nailed every aspect of everything I did but the, what does that matter when I turn up at the next wedding all I've got is empty cards and huge expectations okay. from the client so yep. you have to go into each one and a hundred percent consistently. Yeah, be reliable, for goodness sake. Be reliable. 
Yep, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we have spoken to uh, other photographers who have just been, you know, I, I feel like they've, they've maybe not even seen that they were in this situation, you know, where they they have the need to expand their business, but they just don't from that fear mindset that I was talking about earlier. But for the people out there, like, like how are they going to know when to expand their business with associates? Well, I think... I think it's it's a very personal choice and I hear a lot like I'm too much of a control freak and I can't have anybody else shoot for me or I can't have I mean it implies that like you're like that you think that you're so far ahead of anyone else that no one could do what you do and I think that for most people that's not the case like you could work with someone and have them shooting at your standard you know like we all work like if, if it's an elite level photographer i love using that term now that philip white taught me elite level um <laughs> no. and because he made me think about it because he was like i have different second shooter types i have ones that are like cost this much and and then I have elite level ones, which are like people who are as good as me. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I would say all my second shooters are as good as me. So they are elite level. Like I don't have ones that are like, you know, he was saying he has ones and he sometimes doesn't use any other footage because it's not good enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I just wouldn't, I don't have anybody that works for me. That just doesn't suit my brand. But I think it's a trust issue. You you mm-hmm. can't just you can't just decide. Oh, now I'm going to use associate photographers and I'm going to go out and find some. Um, like you need to, it needs to be somebody you've either worked with or bring them on to second shoot with you first, or you know develop a relationship because there has to be a level of trust and you have to know that they will rep- represent your brand in the way that you would want it represented at a wedding, and that mm-hmm. they will work with your clients in a way that you're comfortable with. Um, you know, it's if they're going to go out and shoot under your brand, you need to have a huge level of confidence in them. And that comes over time. So like Susie, for example, I know that Susie can go out and shoot under my brand and I'm 100 percent confident in that. Haley can go out and work under my brand. I'm 100 percent confident in that. Charlotte can do the same because they have spent so m- how many hours have they spent with me? Like it's a ridiculous amount. How many how much how many weddings have we shot together? So it comes from that. So I think it's a long term project. It's not like how you can just be like, well, I'm ready and I'm going to do it now. Like if it's something you think you want to do, you need to find the right person to bring on. And and Charlotte started off as an assistant and, and Haley started off as an assistant. So it's a, it's a journey and it doesn't it's not something you're going to achieve in in a month. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the word find a few times there. So how do you find the right sort of assistant or second shooter for your sort of brand what's the sort of main things that you're looking for yeah and like where where do you then find them well sometimes it's been luck and sometimes it's been me approaching someone so um with Susie um Susie I met in a online Facebook photography group and I asked her to come and second shoot something with me um, and we hadn't really met and I didn't actually know Susie's background at the time. I didn't really appreciate how many weddings she'd shot or how experienced she was in her own career. Um, but we clicked in terms of how we worked together. And she then she actually this is, this is a really good example of how she she'd actually not shot that many weddings on her own at that point. She'd only shot about five, I think. And I didn't know that. And I hadn't asked because I and now I would ask those things. But I didn't at that point. So I was starting out in my career more. Um, and Susie, this is a, such a good example of Susie's work ethic and why Susie got a lot of experience when she did. 
was because the first thing she said to me after that wedding is, do you have any weddings that don't have second shooters booked? I'll come and work with you for free on those ones because I just want to get tons of experience under my belt. Like Uh she, she knew, she knew that like how much of a benefit that would be to her and her career at that point. And she wasn't thinking about like this, you know, like she wasn't being like, oh, well, I'm not doing it if I'm not getting paid or I'm not doing it if I'm not like, she didn't have that mentality because she understood she had a strong enough business ethic to realize that the value to her from coming to those weddings and just experiencing shooting in all those different situations for all those different types of people and all those different types of venues was much more valuable to her than just like waiting for the odd second shooting gig now and again. So that yeah. year she came to tons of weddings with me um, <laughs> that hadn't booked second shooters. And also because we had a good relationship, any images that I used of hers, I was happy for her to use in her portfolio as well, because like, why wouldn't I be yeah. like, I don't really understand that from primary shooters either when they won't let second shooters use the images. Like if I used it, I'm happy for them to use it. Like I wouldn't let them use anything yeah. I hadn't used because if the couple saw it, they'd be like, why didn't we get that picture? Um, yeah. So anything well, that well, made so- the call, they would get to use. And that, yeah. so that's really why my relationship with Susie is so, it's not, it's a two way street. So yes, she invested time with me, but I invest time with her as well. Like, and I care about her mm-hmm. and I want her to grow her business as much as I want my business to grow. So because that relationship was based on mutual respect and I wanted to help her and she wanted to help me, that's how you get to a point where you can trust someone to shoot a wedding on your behalf. Yeah. What sort of, allowances i suppose do you offer your associates like or even your second shooters i should say Mm -hmm. do you allow them to have the rights to use any image or do they get client weddings that you can't shoot or how does that work do you mean are they allowed to use the images they shot for their own portfolios when they're working with me no. Yes. Well, I, I know. I know that's a big thing for for second shooters when they like to kind of build out their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Well, I yes, I do, and I also don't even ask that they credit me as the primary photographer. Like I see that a lot. Like um, someone uh-huh. will share an image, and then they were like, "This was shot when I was shooting for X, Y, and Z." I don't ask them to do that because I think it waters down the thing they're putting out there. And like, what do I need? Like, I don't need them to put my name out there with it. Like. I I have a strong enough brand on my own and I don't feel that I don't feel that like getting them to credit me does me any good but I think it waters down their message because it's like it's like well this wasn't my wedding it was someone else's and I was there so I think it's better if they can just create the message they want to create and I only work with a small group of people so I don't ask them to credit me like and I don't really want them to credit me I want them to um just you do you. That's what I want them to do. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. And um, with associate photography, um, it's more based on like because all the the photographers I'm using for associate photography are pretty busy in their own right. It's more about when I want an associate photographer rather than they're like, oh, can we have more so- associate photography associate photography gigs? Um, but like for example, when we come back in 2022, if we're back shooting weddings properly there'll probably be less associate shooting um, by design that year because everyone will be so busy. Mm-hmm. The associate yeah. shooting that yeah. will be there is the postponement. So, for example, when a couple had to postpone to a date, 
that I couldn't do because I'm already booked, they get one of the associate team. So that's a little bit different from some other photographers. A lot of other photographers will then just be like, okay, well, you'll, you know, the couple will have to find a new photographer and they might help them find a new photographer or, you know, the relationship is just left there. Whereas, so when my couples come back and say, like my summer couples are saying to me just now, what happens if you have to postpone? And I'll be like, well, you, you talk to me about the date you're going to postpone to. If you absolutely have to move to a date that I can't do it because I'm already booked, you'll get one of the associate team, um, yeah. which protects my business as well, my cash flow, because yeah. that's that's also a choice I can make because the contract the client has with me is with Emma Lawson Photography. It's not with me as an individual, and that's the same for all of us. Yeah. So um, I think photographers who use their own name find this really hard to get their head around as well. Like that contract is not with you as a person. It's with your company just because it's called Emma Lawson Photography. That doesn't make any difference. So I am within uh-huh. my rights to send another photographer in my stead if I can't do it. Um, and obviously I want the client to be on board with that and to be happy with that. But the alternative, the alternative, <laughs> the alternative is they're going to go and book another photographer anyway, and they like the style of my photography, so they're better off using one of my associates. That's the closest thing to me that isn't me. So there's no argument really from the client. The clients don't argue, oh, we want to choose our own photographer or we want to book someone else, because if they were invested in being booked with me and they liked my style of photography, the best thing is, is to be with a photographer who is the next best thing to me. And when I had my daughter... She was born in June, which is right in the middle of wedding season because she was unplanned and no female no female wedding Stop photographer it. ever has ever had a baby in June by <laughs> unless it was by accident. You look at when <laughs> look at when female wedding photographers have babies. It's always like November, December, January, February. <laughs> Those are planned babies. Unplanned babies come in the <laughs> summer when you have a full schedule of weddings so that was a bit of a freak out but I went out to all yep. the couples and I explained that situation to them I was like you know I even explained that it was unplanned and things because I'm really straightforward with my couples and I said but you can have one of my associate team and they will shoot it and I will edit it and it will be as close to me being there as me being there like it's the closest thing I can give you or mm-hmm. because it was me falling pregnant and it wasn't like this situation we're in now I said if you prefer I have also I'll, I can give you a list of photographers who are available on your date. Like I will, you know, and you can come out of the contract with me and recontract with them as like because obviously this was an unforeseen circumstance and not one of them did that. Every one of them went with my associates. Yeah, yeah. and that's one of the major benefits of having that network of associates and also the network of sort of the community over competition sort of aspect yeah and i would have mm, lost 20 right. grand worth of work if they'd all gone with other photographers and it was an unplanned yeah, pregnancy yeah. so that would have been that was 20 grand that wasn't planned for like if you're planning to get pregnant and you're going to be away from your business you're probably putting money aside to cover the time that you're going to be out of the business and you're not going to be shooting but yeah. i would have like so that was massively beneficial to me that I had a much smaller loss, which was, and it wasn't a loss, but obviously I had this, the associate photographer fee to pay. Yeah. You talked about, earlier on, you talked about this sort of etiquette of how to reach out to a photographer and ask to assist or second shoot. Mm-hmm. So once somebody's actually 
coming on a job or after the job happens, what's some of the etiquette things that they should be sort of thinking about and sticking to while working with the lead shooter? I think on the day they need to be thinking about, they need to be making sure that they're shooting what the lead shooter wants them to be shooting. So not shooting for themselves. So, and I think some second shooters will do this not conscious they're not conscious that they're doing this but they are very excited to be there and they're thinking about their own portfolio they're thinking about their own experience so they might and find themselves shooting things that the primary shooter is shooting so like they're shooting on from a similar angle the same things they're not looking around the room to see what the primary shooter is not getting and that is your role as a second shooter you are there to get a different take on the day so if i'm shooting the bride and groom you're shooting the reactions you know if it's speeches or during the ceremony you're you're getting like you're getting angles into the guests and if they're crying or smiling or laughing or or if I'm at the if I'm standing like off to the side and I'm shooting into the bride's face like are you in a position where you can get around and see what the groom's face is doing if you know I'm not shooting like so I want them to be very I want them to be always thinking about what I'm shooting and where they can place themselves and also making sure they're not in the back of it that they're aware so that they're not in the back of any shots. Like Sue Haley will tell you, like I'm a bit of a dick to work for in some respects. Um, <laughs> on the day, I'm very focused and I expect a lot. Like I have very high standards for myself and I have very high standards for anyone I'm working with. And um, like I remember in the beginning when Haley would be like thinking about what she was going to shoot next. If I would look across the room during the speeches and she'd have the camera down by her side, I'd like I'd signal to her. I'd be like. I'd like point at my camera, like I'd point at the camera and I'd point at her eye and she'd know I was saying that camera should never be down from your eye. Like, because if you do look around the room and you see something, it's going to, the thing will be done by the time you get the camera up and get it like focused and the shot taken. So, mm-hmm. and that's something I always used to see. And Susie's probably um, made a rod for all the other photographers' backs because I can look at Susie <laughs> at any time on a wedding day and I never see her not with the camera in front of her face. She's never yeah. just gazing off into space or just being like, oh, there's nothing to shoot right now. I'm just waiting for something to shoot. She would like, she'd never, like, you'd never hear it. You know her so well. You know, you'd never hear that come out of her mouth. She yeah. is always looking for the next thing to shoot. And as documentary photographers, there's always something. Like, if there's, if you, that, if you genuinely telling me there's nothing to shoot, like, like, I've heard people say before, like, oh, they're having canopies right now. There's nothing to shoot. Yes, there is. People aren't like, eating canopies like it's not a it's not a um, revolving canopy belt like they're they're eating canopies and they're chatting yes don't take a picture of someone as they're eating a canopy but the person standing across from them is probably in the middle of telling their funny story and everyone's about to crack into laughter it's about it's about standing on the periphery of all these conversations and all these little things that are happening and being Mm. ready to take the shot so and in terms of second shooter etiquette like you need to come to the wedding and be a hundred percent focused on capturing those things and especially when the primary shooter is fo- shooting something else because you are there to capture what they can't capture when they're somewhere else so uh-huh. it's just being on it all the time and that's why we're exhausted after a wedding that's why wedding photographers talk about the wedding hangover because you are on it for like 10 to 12 hours there's not really mm. like apart from when you eat dinner and stuff but if you're doing your job right there's no like um, you're always like looking for the next thing to take a picture of or you're always you know focused on what you're doing so like nothing irritates me more than like looking across a room and seeing a second shooter like shit 
chatting to someone or like no I don't mean I don't mean yeah. that they can't ever chat to someone but I mean <laughs> if I can see something happening like if I look across the room and there's something awesome happening and they're not shooting it because they're doing faffing about doing something else or they yeah. are just not on it like that really really irritates me because I'm like yeah go shoot that like go and shoot that. <laughs> um but like <laughs> I'm direct, like I'm direct on the day, but like I love them all to bits and I would do anything for yeah. them, but I am quite direct. Mm-hmm. I'm not rude to them, am I? <laughs> you would know oh. better than me, like, but I'm direct because <laughs> I just need to get, I just need to communicate something to them very quickly. Um, yeah. And then afterwards, I think always make sure that if you want to share an image, um, ask the primary photographer if that's okay. Like if you find out what they used in their call, like what they kept of your imagery, and always get their permission to use it and find out what their preference is. Like a lot of primary photographers uh-huh. want to be credited as that was their wedding yep. and you were second shooting. I don't, but most do. Um, yeah. So you need to find out what, what um, is appropriate to do there. And also be yeah. accepting if they say, no, you can't share it or this client wants it all kept private. Like it's not your right to share that. You were paid to be there for the day and you did your mm-hmm. job and like it's frustrating for everyone when you can't share beautiful imagery because the client wants it kept private but that's their right it was their wedding it's a private event you know you're there to shoot it you're not like it's not our right to share it it's just lucky that we can Mm -hmm. share quite a lot of it because obviously that's how we sell our work and um yeah i just think i just think the most important thing to me is you're always focused on you are there to work for that photographer you are there to serve their brand you are there to if you look at it like that the primary photographer will always um will always favor you and will always look out for you as well and will always want to see your business do well like I would honestly I would I would jump in and like if one of my um associate photographers needed help on something or they were ill or something I would jump in and shoot and I have like I shot a wedding in the summer for one of my associates um she was not able to do it because they decided to reschedule and just have a micro wedding and I shot that for her and I didn't even charge I didn't charge her an associate fee to shoot it for her I just went and shot it for her because that's what relationships are about like it's give and take and caring about the other person and we're in the middle Uh of a flipping pandemic and everybody's cash flow is decimated. So the last thing I want them to do, like I just wanted to take away their stress and it took away yeah. their stress that I would go and shoot the wedding for them. And like the the associate fee was sort of inconsequential really because that wouldn't have made a huge difference to me. And it, but it did make a big difference to them. Yeah. Well, talking about fee then, since a lot of people don't like to talk about it and you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but pricing, how, like, how much do you pay an associate for a, for a project? How, 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 how much do you pay a second shooter? How much do you pay an assistant? So, um, uh, the going rate for associate shooting in Scotland is around 65 pounds an hour, um, or which equates to like between 500 to 650 pounds for a full day. Um, for my associates, for my, for my second shooter, sorry. Um, they get paid on a scale, so the most experienced gets paid more than the least experienced. But it ranges yeah. from like two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty pounds. Mm-hmm. And for assistance, it's one hundred and fifty for the day. But assistants have okay. no pressure; like they have no, they're there to help. <laughs> and 
And I actually let my assistants shoot if they want to as well for themselves, just so they can get a bit of experience on how to shoot a wedding day. But like they're yeah. under no pressure. Nobody's expecting any files from them. They don't even have to show me the files if they don't want to. Like I just, and also I just think they sometimes feel more comfortable having a camera around their neck because they don't feel yeah. like they're like when they see a, you know, they don't feel like everyone's looking at them like, what's that person's job? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think it just it's a safety thing as well, and if they like, they can put the camera up in front of their face if everyone's looking at them. Um. So yep. they get paid the least. Um. Mm-hmm. And but they get a lot of experience. Um. And yeah. they'll get their meals and things as well. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Cool. So going back to a little bit about the etiquette, because it reminded me of, and I, again, I'm going to bring this up. Your clubhouse chat. Uh, photography and womanhood i'm pretty sure and i could be wrong you were talking to amy lee about styles of shooting with regards to coloring but when a second shooter comes to work for you and perhaps they have a different style are you expecting them to change the style that they shoot in normally to fit within your image your brand yes to a to a degree like I generally pick people who shoot in a similar style, but I will give them. So when they're, you know, when I said they're doing that like shadowing thing or when they're doing, when they're, when I'm paying them to second shoot a wedding that doesn't have, that the client hasn't paid for a second shooter, I'll give them a critique Mm -hmm. on their work. So I have a thing that's quite specific to me because I see other people like, and I like things cropped a certain way. Like if you're doing a, a fairly close up picture of a, person um i just have a way that i like that cropped so like for women i don't like to see women cropped like above their boobs like and then there'd be space above their head and some people shoot that way and it's not right or wrong i just like a certain i just like that kind of when you're that close into someone i like the picture to always be below their boobs and the either the top of their head cropped a little bit or a little bit of space like it's just something okay. i like because I can't fix that yeah. crop afterwards. Because if I bring the crop in at the top, like it's then too close and it looks weird. So there's compositional things that are very specific to me, because I think they stand out in the gal. Like to me, maybe they don't stand out to the client, but it stands out to me in the gallery that I didn't shoot that because I would never shoot that crop like in a million years. Like that's not how I. I just do not. I'm really passionate about that particular crop. If failures, if um. If Charlotte or Haley or anyone listened to this, would be like, oh, no, not the crop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why do you want that crop? Hate <laughs> um, yeah. <get> that crop. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's things like that. There's things like that that I am really specific about. Like I'm like, shoot that all day long when you're shooting your own work. If you like that, you do that. Yeah. You do you. Like I, I flip and hate it, but you do it. Um, but when you're working <laughs> for me, don't shoot that crop because cause I'm not a fan. Um, yeah. And there are other things like I will tell them to like, I'll just give them critique on how they shot certain things. Like if they're missing focus more often than they should be when someone's walking towards them, like that's a really important skill to have as a wedding photographer because we track focus on brides walking up aisles and couples walking back down aisles. So, I mean, it's not necessarily a skill set you have if you've studied photography in college or something to track focus of someone as they walk towards you because, I mean, you don't need to get it bang on every time, I don't suppose. But you do as a wedding photographer because you need, you know, you need to have enough usable images from that and you can't ever redo it. So I'll be like, you're missing focus too much when someone's moving towards you. So you need to 
don't know, if you've got a boyfriend, get him to walk towards you a hundred times, you know, in different lighting yeah. situations and just keep shooting it until you can nail it every time. Um, yeah, that's a top tip right there. And that's that's coming from videographers mm-hmm. who quite often manual focus, you know, brides walking down the aisle, you know? Yeah, you can, and you can never redo that if that's if that's not done yeah. right. Like, that's, that's a massive mistake. Let's, um, <laughs> they have very, in fact, like for documentary photographer. <laughs> What I do is very formulaic. I mean, not the way we shoot the couples, but there are certain things like uh, go back to it. People are paying me a lot of money. They expect certain things. So there are certain things that they have to get, like when they get to the venue, um, like certain establishing shots that I need them to get or and they need to be shot in a certain way. And and I need to have a mixture of portraits and landscapes and, um, you know, just the way that I like things done. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, I also have crops that I don't like when they're shooting. Like if they were shooting the guys before the ceremony and they were just getting like an informal picture of them all chatting or something, there's crops, like group crops that I don't like as well. I'm really a bit of a um, stickler with the old crops. Yeah. So like, but it's because <laughs> it's because I'm striving for a huge amount of consistency in my galleries. So my second shooters need to shoot that like I would shoot it. And that's why they come and train before they're fully fledged second shooters so that that's already done and that they're already doing that. Um, Like, for example, confetti shots. I always shoot it in the same position and my second shooters always shoot it on a different focal length in a different position. So my second shooter will shoot it with a bit with an upward angle on a wider lens and I shoot it on a 35 at my standing level. And that's yep. so that we get variety in that shot. And if I have an assistant there as well for a team of three, they'll shoot it from behind. So they'll get like the couple walking away and the big plume of confetti coming over them. Um, yeah. So cool. we these things become like really when you work with someone a lot and you invest in a relationship and you actually do care about them and you want their career to go well and they care about you. Um you become like a really smooth team working together. They just know where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing. So yeah, I, do, I am quite particular yeah. about how they shoot, but I mean, they just, they just know how I like things shot and I'm, and I'm never telling them that the way they shoot it for themselves is wrong. It's just personal preference mm-hmm. and they're shooting yeah. under my brand. So they have to follow that. And I've heard of like people telling me they had a second shooter once and they asked them to shoot the candids a certain way. And they were like, oh, no, I can't do it that way. That's like not the style that I shoot in. And like, I've got to be true to like, I'm an artist and, you know, I've got to be true to. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't believe that. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, that's, oh dear. you know, I mean, you can't like go and be an assistant or a second shooter for someone and then be a diva about like your style. Like, it's not your gig. Yeah. You didn't get it. Like, just shoot it the way you're <laughs> supposed to shoot it. And I was like, because she was like doing, I think they were doing like all the candids like through prisms and stuff, you know, like doing really creative stuff. And like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's not really yeah. what people want from their candid photography of their guests. They just wanted like nice, yeah. clear pictures of their guests laughing and talking and, you know, so they can get that feel of like how much everyone enjoyed the drinks reception. They don't necessarily want like, like really creative photography of that, like, and it all to be reflections or prism work, you know? So, yeah. And that's, 
inexperience, I think. <laughs> um, mm. That person probably doesn't do much second shooting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, if you want that, do some video work, because that's all video Yeah, is. I know, they should come and work with you guys, you'd have loved it. <laughs> we love it, reflections, tables, mirrors, air, yeah. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. So, and come also, <laughs> it might be that in their brand that works really well, because that's what their clients want, because that's what they show, but they're not working for their brand, so they have to, exactly, they have to yeah. suck it up and do what the main photographer wants. Um, yeah. And then... Yeah, I don't think I'm I'm pretty prescriptive in terms of what they have to capture at certain parts of the day and where they need to be. Like my second shooters all know that it's like imperative that they stand at the opposite side that I'm standing at when the bride walks up the aisle because no, the same side. Oh, my God. The same side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I need them to get the grooms. Sorry, they stand at the same side as I am, so I don't get them in my shot. Yeah. It's for two reasons. I yeah, need them to get like so. I shoot at the opposite side. I'm standing at the opposite side of the groom, so that I can turn on my heel and get a picture of the groom's yeah. reaction if I need to. And also, I've got a nice angle into the bride. And the second yeah. shooter is always at the exact same side I am, standing behind the last row of guests to get the picture over the bride's shoulder of the groom's reaction as he watches her walk up the aisle. Now, (laughs) that's a high-pressure job, actually, because, I mean, I used to be like, I'd be like, this is essential. This is really important. You must get this. And they were all, like, so stressed (laughs) And I was like, it's not that bad. Like, you just have to be in that exact right position, and you have to be ready to shoot it, and you need to make sure you have the right type of lens on, and you need to be able to get that and know that you're going to get it sharp. I was like, it's not an 85 job because it's not trustworthy on an 85. Um, Oh, yeah. So that would be that's like they all know that like i don't need to tell them that anymore because they know that that's like that's never not going to be their top priority at that time and they know they need to be on the opposite side for me because i'll kill them if they're on the they, on the same side as me sorry because if they're on the opposite side for me i'm gonna have to photoshop them out the back of my pictures which will make me sad yeah um plus they can't they can't be there because that's where the videographer stands yeah <laughs> yeah but i'm talking about the back of the aisle they're at the back of the aisle yeah there is a videographer there yeah. probably there too but they're well usually if you're working with greg and i there's two of yeah. us so one of them's by you one of them's yeah, by your so second I'm like, you need to you need to like jostle with greg and decide where he's going to be too <laughs> yeah. um yeah. because it's really important if the groom turns around they get that reaction but i'm also gonna oh, feel yeah. safe for that as well like i'm at the opposite side of the groom already so that if for some reason i think they might not have got it or if i just want to i can just turn around in a second and get his reaction from where i am yeah um and however when i was heavily pregnant like really heavily pregnant i woke up to, i worked up to 38 weeks and i like my last wedding i had my baby like three days after the wedding um i would do the back of aisle for like the bride walking up the aisle just because i felt like it was distracting for the guests this like incredibly pregnant woman at the front with a camera and also i just thought <laughs> I, like i had c-sections and i've never gone into labor like that but i was just like imagine if my water's broke or something or something happened and like that would just I don't want it. I didn't want someone's wedding to become about me. So yeah. for the last like month, I would shoot the back of the aisle, and I shot a lot of weddings in the uh-huh. last month. Um, and I was like, actually, shit, this was really hard. Like that <laughs> is actually one of the hardest things to shoot is the bride, especially it's a short aisle. The bride walking up the aisle and trying to get that space either between her and her dad's head or or whoever's walking her up. Yeah. Or over the other shoulder 
or because you have the get, you get, you don't know what the guests are going to do. Like the guests are wild cards. One of them might step out in style and try and take a picture, which they do sometimes, <laughs> or they might just move yeah. to get a better view of the groom themselves. So you can have it all set up and perfect. And then a guest moves their head and gets right in the way. Or yeah. you can have it all set up and perfect. And then a guest stands into the aisle to take their own picture of the bride walking up the aisle. So I was like, so I remember saying to them, like, I was remember saying to like Susie and Haley and things, I was like, shit, that's actually really hard, like standing at the back to get the groom's reaction because there's so many variables you can't allow for and you've just got to be totally on it. And they were like, yeah, I know, it's really stressful. (laughs) And you were like looking at us like, get the shot, get the shot, get the shot. (laughs) <laughs> oh, awesome. so i kind of got that, you know what, this... medicine with that i was like actually i give them quite a hard job there <laughs> I have quite high expectations of them there but like they know that you know they know what my expectations are and that they're high yeah. but it's only because it's not because it's because i want the couples to have like for everything to be documented as best it can be because yeah i just feel really strongly about that you know and i want to mm-hmm. I want that for the couple, you know, if he turned around and he had this most beautiful expression on his face, as he was, was he, and I'm obviously talking about a um, male-female gender couple here, but like it can be two guys or two girls, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but like when you see your partner walk up the aisle towards you, you know, like that's a really important moment. Um, and I think that's really important for us to capture. Um, there is the odd yeah. time when they don't turn around um, we had one wedding where the bride was like, that was all she cared about. When I did a pre-wedding meeting with her, all she cared about was his reaction when she walked up the aisle. Actually, I think you guys might have filmed that way. Yeah, you guys did film that wedding. Yeah, I remember that. You yeah. remember it because um, the groom, who was like such a bouncy, funny guy, like who was just full of banter and you just wouldn't have expected him to be this kind of guy. When <laughs> the music started for her to walk in, he just like, broke apart and just was like properly crying I mean like loads of tears and I never talked to the groom at this part of the wedding day but I knew like she told me so many times this was the thing she cared about the most was his reaction to seeing her walk up the aisle and he wasn't going to turn around and it was a long enough aisle then I could be quiet enough and I was like I was like Kyle turn around (laughs) I was like yeah I have to look at her he's like I can't so he turned and then he like he pulled himself together a little bit and he turned around and i mean for like a split second like he turned around and then he turned right back and started bawling again and i was just like shit there's no way we'll have caught that and like i was obviously shooting him crying but that wasn't what she wanted she wanted the picture of him watching her walk up the aisle and i was like damn it and you know the first thing you know when after they get married and we organize the guests for confetti and the couple just get like a couple of seconds to each other while we're telling the guests what to do um, when I walked up to her after we'd organised the guests for that to say, okay, I'm just going to say one, two, three, and you guys walk and we'll shoot the confetti. She like didn't even let me get that out. She was like, did you guys get the shot? Did you get it? <laughs> and I was like, um, I was like, I haven't spoken to Haley yet. It was Haley, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Haley. I was like, I haven't spoken to Haley yet, like because we've been busy. <laughs> it's like so, there's been an opportunity to check yet, and I was like, there's no fucking way in hell that she has ever gotten that shot because it was like it was. You, you know, it was just a split second. He barely looked. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was so full of emotion. And um, when I got back, like after confetti, like when we were shooting candids, I was like, 
she, I was like, you didn't get him looking at her, did you? And she was like, yeah, got it. And she was like so proud of herself. Like she knew as well that like <laughs> yes. that was a thing to yeah. like to get that in focus. Let alone, and it was and it was also incredibly dark venue. So the focus would have been like it wasn't there wasn't a lot of natural light in there. Um, yeah. And so to get that was an inc- like, I, I mean, I don't know. I could have got it like. It was just luck. Like it wasn't luck. It was a lot of skill, but it was also luck. Was it play there? Because if your camera like faltered a little bit with its focus because of the low light, he would have been turned back around. So that are very, mm-hmm. you know, like that was an amazing capture. And like she's so happy because she got that shot. But I mean, the pressure Haley was under there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's worse than any pressure I've ever had <laughs> as the primary. Mm-hmm. Because I think you have more pressure when you're an associate or you're a second shooter in some ways, because you're working under someone else's brand. Like your mistakes are not your own mistakes. Yeah, poor Tom. <laughs> They're working for us. Poor Susie. Poor Haley. Yeah, poor Charlotte. I would feel oh I would God. feel more stressed working under someone else's brand than my own. Like I would feel more pressure mm. because nobody knows what my mistake is if I make a mistake. Like unless I miss the first kiss yeah. or something, which God forbid I never do. Um, <laughs> but. If you're doing it for someone else, that's your mistake. Like that's their mistake you've made. Like that's it just feels so much worse to me. So yeah. I have a lot yeah. of respect for people who do it. Totally. Absolutely. Way more than what we <laughs> scheduled for at the beginning. Yes. Uh I'll probably get Simon to start doing the outro for the podcast. Yeah. Well, first of all, Emma, where can people find you? Um, in my house in Aberdeen. <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> um, at least you're not on the beach no, this time. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm at the beach. Come to me. Um, <laughs> on Instagram, I'm Emma Lawson Photo. My website's www.emmalawsonphotography.com and all my socials are pretty much Emma Lawson Photo apart from Clubhouse which is just Emma Lawson and I also have a wedding planning business which is cootie I know we didn't even get a chance to talk about that but no that's fine that maybe, wasn't really maybe we'll, this, so that's fine uh, true true but uh yeah and well t- talk about your Clubhouse stuff um so yeah so Kelly Quinn and I who is a wonderful Scottish photographer and brilliant speaker she's like, amazing she's the best voice for Clubhouse mm-hmm. I love listening to her um we do a photography and womanhood room on a Monday and a Friday and it's very broad in terms of our focus we go with the flow so we do it on a Monday because people have got the week ahead of them we do it on a Friday because people are coming out of the week and so we talk about where, where everyone's at how everyone's doing and the conversation will literally go in any direction based on what everyone's feeling or what's happening um, in the world at that time. So it's a really flexible room in terms of where it goes. And um, we just invite everyone up to talk. So it's not just us talking. Yeah, it really is. A, it, it's one. It's actually my favorite room. To, to oh, Simon. I really enjoy it. Even if I am in the hot tub and slightly inebriated, I still join yeah. in. Yeah, don't, <laughs> I, don't join in from the hot tub. Yeah, that shouldn't. Just too noisy. Just too noisy. (laughs) And we are Cinemate Films. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us at cinematefilms.co.uk. On Facebook, Cinemate Films. And our Patreon as well. We hope you loved this episode. And if you did, join us on Patreon at Perspective by Cinemate. Where for the price of a coffee every month, you can get access to the Clubhouse Q&As and roundhouse discussions, and even more bonus content that won't be available anywhere else. 
If you don't have any money to give, that's okay. You can still hit that subscribe button and you'll get your podcast for free as usual. Maybe just consider leaving a review just for a shout out. However, in the meantime, enjoy your life. <laughs>